When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. An absolutely gorgeous teen girl is murdered. And today, her mother tells us, quote, I just hate the holidays, especially Mother's Day. You're a mom, but you're missing your child. That is a fate I do not wish on anyone. We want answers. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. First of all, take a listen to this. Randisha Love was a 17-year-old honor student and ROTC member at Westlake High School. Shortly after she called her mother to say she made it home from school that day, her mother and younger brother found her dead in the front hallway of their home near College Park. Tell me, was there the door kicked in? Any signs of forced entry? It it wasn't in the sound. It was just everything looked just normal. Right now, I really, when I went in the house and saw my baby, my mind just went completely blank. You are hearing our friends at Fox 5, but you are also hearing Randisha's mom, Katara Ham, who is joining us right now. Miss Ham, there are, there are no words that I know of in the English language to tell you how, how much I hate what you're going through. And I really appreciate you being with us today because you know what? It's just so easy in this world to read a headline or hear a blurb online or on the radio when you're in your car, and you just chalk it off. It's another statistic. Your girl is dead. Someone murdered your girl, and she is not just a statistic. What happened the day you came home? Um, I came home. My son got in the house before I did, and I walked in the door, and I'm like, was the door unlocked? And he was just had a blank stare. He was like, yes. And, I, and I'm calling. I'm like, Randisha, Randisha, because I'm like, you know, why was the door unlocked? You know, I, you're here by yourself. And he looked at me, and he looked down, and he looked at me, and he's like, Mom, she's right here. And I looked down, and I just saw my baby in a pool of blood. And it's something that I'll never, ever, ever forget. When I close my eyes, I I see her laying there. When I open my eyes, I see her laying there. That's a, It's not like nobody called me and said, we found your daughter. This is, I, I saw everything for, my, for myself. And I saw, you know, it's it's unimaginable on just 
how I felt at that moment. I, moment, I can't even explain how I feel right now. Um, as you just said, there's no words in the English dictionary to explain my emotions and what I go through every day and what I've been through for the past six years. Um, is Randisha's mom, Miss Ham, Katara Ham. You can find her online at Justice, Justice for Randisha. The four is a number, Justice for Randisha. You know, Cheryl McCollum is joining me, longtime friend and colleague. We grew up in the trenches of inner city Atlanta fighting crime. She's now the founder and director of the Cold Case Research Institute. Cheryl, you have your two babies and I have mine. All of them are about the age of Randisha. I think about my little Lucy is about to turn 15. This is about the age of Randisha. Can you even imagine what Miss Ham has gone through? And it's really hard for me to believe that this case is unsolved. That's total BS. Yeah, it's gut-wrenching. And, you know, Randisha was right in the middle of Lucy and Caroline. So Caroline's 19, she's 17, and then, you know, Lucy's 15. You know, I left my son out, uh, Miss Cheryl. I left John David out of the mix because he's already 6'6". But these girls, Lucy, (laughs) Caroline, Randisha, they can't fight back the way a grown boy or a grown man could. I mean, and clearly she's been caught unaware. She's right there as you enter into the home. And the door was left unlocked when the perp left. Why in the hay is this case unsolved? Why is Miss Ham, number one, she can't heal. She she may never heal, even if she gets answers. Because there's no such thing as closure, Cheryl McCollum. We know that. But she can't even start to heal until the case is solved. But let's talk about Randisha. She was not the child that ran the streets. She didn't date gang members. She wasn't using drugs. She was the kid that went, hey, mom, well, I'm on the bus going to school. It's insulting that you even put that out there. No one thought well, she did do any of this. Be- this is an no, but we need to make it clear. An honor Absolutely. student minding her own business in her own home. Nancy, she made two Door calls that day. What, Miss Sam? She was doing homework. Her 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 computer and paperwork was there. She was doing homework. Randisha was a straight A student. Mm. Had been in a uh, had been since she was in elementary school. She was at she was the perfect. Per, no, nobody's perfect, but she was my perfect daughter. You know that's what I say about the twins. They're practically perfect in every way. That really got to me, Cheryl, because last night when I went to bed, I had to get up super early this morning, 4.30. And when I went to bed, I checked on the twins, of course. And little Lucy, John David was passed out, you know, at whatever time, 10.30. Lucy was curled up in a ball, making notes, studying, studying. Mm. And she had three bottles of white out. In case she made a mistake, she's that particular. She'll white it out and then fix it. In her own note. <laughs> In her own notes. I'm just thinking about yeah. Randisha studying at the time this happened. 
And Nancy, that's why I want it to be clear for everybody listening. We know her, but your audience needs to know her. This was a child that was in ROTC. She wanted to go to the Air Force. She was a straight-A student, but she also didn't miss school. Now, you talk about teenagers with a cell phone. That child made two calls that day. One, Mama, I'm on the bus going to school. The next one was at 4.30. Mama, I'm home. She didn't stay on the phone. She didn't stay in the street. She didn't stay doing stuff she didn't want to. This picture of Radisha. Lucy just took a picture very similar to this. She's got on a little, it looks like a little party dress. And she's got on her <laughs> little boots. And she's got on her um, shoulder strap. And she's got her her purse uh, crossways across her body like you're supposed to wear them. I can tell her hair has just been done. And she's got the biggest smile. And she was going to the ROTC mall. I'm just imagining you know, I traipse, and you know how much I hate to, to shop, Cheryl, more than anything. But I will traipse all over the mall in complete agony, helping my daughter find the dress to wear to whatever it is. I wonder right. how long, how long did your girl look for this dress? Because she's just... She loved to shop. But oh, we Lord. were probably in every store, and, and she, I think we... I forgot what we finally found in it, but what we what we were in every store because she loved to she loved to shop, and that's one of the things that's so hurtful as well because I literally went from planning Randisha's junior prom to planning her funeral. Her and I was I'm sorry, we were getting ready to look for her prom dress, and I went from planning her prom planning her funeral and that's the worst thing a mother could ever go through is to plant burying your child i literally was we were literally about to go prom shopping and it just it hurt so bad because as you can see she's just such a stylish kid i swear you know she knew every payday i had and she was like mom i need this i need that i need this and I would get it for because she's my only girl, and I just, I'm, I'm, I'm so broken right now to where I don't know up from down, side to side. I, I don't know which way to turn, and I look at her pictures. They make me smile, but it also make me cry because I'll never see her face on this side of earth again. And Randisha also like to sing in the choir. She was on the dance praise team. She was, I mean, she was a sweetheart. Where did she sing in the choir? Um, At, at our church. Which is what? Greater New Hope um, Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. I know exactly where that is. I'm just thinking, you know, what you just said, it really struck a chord in me, Miss Ham, because you said we were getting ready to go to the prom. Can I tell you, for instance, when I drag the twins through a merit badge at Scout, I feel like I should get the merit badge. Like when they get ready, when they, oh my goodness, Miss Ham, when they went to their Valentine's party, John David didn't care what he wore. But Lucy, oh my goodness, by the time we got her ready, 
in her dress and all the hair and the shoes. I, I wanted to go to the party myself. I feel like I was the one exactly. all dressed up and all fixed <laughs> right. up. And I just sat in the parking lot and watched them walk in and I just wanted them to have the best time. And I feel like what you just said, we were getting ready for her prom. I mean, you were so close to her. And another thing you said, that she would know when you would have a payday. And there you were working yeah. hard so she could have all these things that I now know that girls want, all sorts of things. And I know you didn't right. want her to have to worry. Can I get a dress from the prom? Yeah. Can I get this cute outfit? Because you are w- breaking your back working to advance her. I'm just curious. Yes. You mentioned the door was unlocked. Yes, it was closed, but it was it was unlocked because um, my son was able to walk right in. I saw when he walked in, but I was thinking that maybe she had come and unlocked the door for him, as she usually do. So I I didn't I didn't know it when we pulled up to the house. There was nothing out of the ordinary that would make me think that I was about to walk in and see what I saw. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, for those of you just joining us, this beautiful young girl, straight A student. You know how hard that is to do? Straight A's from beginning to end and wanted to be in the Air Force. This girl singing in the choir on the praise team. I mean, just scrubbed in sunshine. Why is she dead? Why is her mother on crime stories with Nancy Grace crying? Why hasn't this case been solved with all these clues and we got nothing let me go to Dave Mack joining me, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter. Dave Mack, you better tell me something. What happened? Nancy, you said we have all these clues. Here's what we have. We know that that she arrived home around 4.30 in the afternoon. Good start. Good start. You know how I like to start with a timeline. Home from school, hmm. everything's fine. How do I know she got, oh, she called her mom and said, I'm home, right? That's it. And we can uh, track the time and the location. Mm-hmm. Home from school, right. 4.30. Did she ride the bus, Miss Ham? Yes, ma'am. She rode the bus. Okay, so we have evidence of that. And I'd be curious if anybody got off that day, a male, because this is obviously a male crime, uh, I'm curious if anybody got off the bus at that stop that didn't normally get off the bus at that stop. And I'm curious as to who else got off the bus normally with her and would have seen her walking home. Just throwing it out there. Okay, back to you, Dave Mack. Okay. She gets off the bus. She goes home. Now, we know that she got home because she calls her mom, says, I'm home. Everything's okay. Hold it. Now, uh, Miss Miss Ham, you routinely your SOP is to keep the windows and doors locked, especially when you're home. Correct? Yes. So you knew right off the bat. If I saw my children go in the back door without unlocking it, I would say, "Don't don't go in," because that's not right. right. Okay, got it. Okay, right. Dave Max, sorry about that. So go ahead, four thirty. All right, Randisha is home. She is okay. Calls mom now. Mom. 
gets off work and goes to pick up her uh, Randisha's younger brother playing basketball. The little boy. Yeah. How old is he, Miss Ann? He was 14 at the time. Okay. He's playing basketball where? At, um, he was in he was in middle school. So he's at his middle school. Yes. And you get home with your son at what time? We got there because I got off work about 7.30, 8-ish. We got there, I want to say, about 9.30, 9.45. Oh, that's about the time we, we got there because we stopped by and got food. And when I went and picked him up, because he was on the other side of town. Um, so yeah, we got there about nine thirty, nine forty-five ish. And that traffic really gets bad around that time. Right. Seven, seven thirty. It's still stopped up from the five five o'clock rush. Okay. So in the space but of Nancy, five hours, what Cheryl? For your timeline, she called about seven forty and didn't get an answer from Rendisha. Right. So the timeline's a little closer. That's important, Cheryl. Because behavioral evidence, Miss Ham, I mean, if your daughter, and I'm sure she had her phone attached to her purse the way my twins do, she's not going to get far from her phone. Yes, you called at 740 and she didn't pick up. Did she ever, was that normal for her not to pick the phone up? My son picks it up on the first ring. My daughter never picks it up for anybody. It was not normal. Um, I was calling her as soon as I got off work. It was, it was not normal for her not to pick up maybe I call and she's listening to music but it really wasn't normal for her not to pick up when I call so I, I was just thinking to myself well maybe she just listening to music and can't hear the the line ringing because she would always have her earphones in some you know I was thinking but I started to call her and and she she never ever ever picked up I was kind of worried but I I I didn't think that I would walk in again and find what I found. You know, that's really important, Miss Ham, because to narrow down the timeline, which is crucial in a case like this, that is significant. You know how Dr. Angie with me, Dr. Angela Arnold, renowned psychiatrist, joining us out of the Atlanta jurisdiction at AngelaArnoldMD.com. Dr. Angie, like I just said, this is critical to the case. For instance... I call John David, he picks up on the first ring. I call Lucy, ne- never, for anyone, never picks her phone up. If I want to talk to Lucy, I have to call John David and give the phone to Lucy. And I don't worry when Lucy doesn't right. pick up the phone because that's her standard operating Habit. procedure. That's just exactly. her. She's not really yeah. glued to her phone as right. much as him. So um, that's where we're going to put the timeline at 740. Why is behavioral evidence so crucial? And... Don't you agree, Dr. Angie, that a routine behavior is just as powerful in my mind as a fingerprint? It identifies you and helps me solve a case. Oh, heavens yes, Nancy. And we all have our, we all have our habits that we do. And like you said, we can identify different people by their habits. I know, there are some people that I can text, and Nancy, I don't even take offense that they don't text me back because they never text me back. Okay, I know who you're talking about, and I don't care. <laughs> no, it's somebody else. Okay, give me and, an example, Dr. Angie. What's one thing you do that never deviates? One thing. Oh, my goodness. One thing that I do that never deviates. It shouldn't really be that hard. I've got one right off the top of my head. Cheryl McCollum, I never go to bed without looking at the twins first. 
I never mm-hmm. even go to the kitchen in the morning. The first thing I do when I wake up is look at the twins to just see that they're asleep in bed and then check on mm-hmm. my mom. Never, ever deviates. Do you feel comfortable in setting the timeline that her death attack occurred between 4.30 and 7.40? Absolutely. I think it's closer to 5, but yes, absolutely. I think it was shortly after she called me. Mm-hmm. I do, too. Whoa. Okay, she called you at 4.30. Why do you think that, Miss Ham? I just think whoever did it, I think it was somebody that kind of knew our... Timeline. Can I jump in, Nancy? Have I ever been able to stop you? No, but here's the reason I think it was quick. Everything had to line up perfect for this to occur. Somebody had to know, number one, the grandparents weren't home. They were always home. They weren't home this day. Well, the grandparents lived there in the home? They lived with her grandparents, Oh, my goodness. See, that's huge. So where were the grandparents? They were at a California funeral. Right. Okay. You know, Dr. Tim Gallagher joining me, medical examiner for the entire state of Florida at pathcaremed.com. And he is the founder and host of the International Forensic Medicine Death Investigation Conference. Dr. Gallagher, help me. How can I narrow down the TOD time of death? Well, Nancy, you know, that's always a question that we're asked in court. And, you know, typically the stock answer is, you know, the time of death occurs at when the last time you saw her alive until she was discovered deceased. But that doesn't satisfy. Well, I mean, I know that that much without Mm -hmm. a medical degree. (laughs) So... Tell you're, me you're, something you're right, that Nancy, can but help me. There are scientific ways to discover this. Uh, we examine the temperature of the body. So we know that the body will lose one degree of temperature for every hour that it is deceased. We look for rigor, which is stiffening of the body. So we know that the body will begin to stiffen, stiffen or go into rigor about one hour to one and a half hours after the body is deceased. And then it'll come out of rigor at about 36 to 48 hours. So we can uh, use that to help with our timeline. In cases of extreme... Come out of rigor 36 to 48 hours after death. Okay, got it. I'm riding as fast as I can. Go ahead. And then uh, for, for bodies who are exposed to the elements, such as uh, a house with windows and doors open, uh, it attracts different types of insects, you know, which uh, start to uh, occupy the body. Okay, and then hold we can on. Tell- uh, Dr. Gallagher, mm-hmm. you're not upsetting me in the least because I'm very familiar, thanks to you in large part, with forensic etymology. However, our victim's mom may not necessarily want to hear that analysis. I believe uh, since this occurred January 12, that the windows and doors would have been shut and the home gets really cold in that neck of the woods. I want to circle back to you, Cheryl, what were you saying? And you heard what, what Dr. Gallagher is telling us. What would you expect to find if the, the time of death, Dr. Gallagher, was shortly after that 4.30 p.m. phone call? Well, you know, there's another way we can uh, approximate the time of death as well. You know, she uh, she was indicating that she was found in a pool of blood. Well, uh, the blood is composed of liquid and solid elements. Over the course of time, the solid elements will start to separate from the liquid elements. And then there is a, a timeline that we can uh, 
verify using that technique to see uh, the separation of the solid parts of the blood and the liquid parts of the blood as it lays there at the crime scene. So we have the body temperature, we have the rigor, and then we have the separation of the blood on the floor of the crime scene. That's a very good indicator on how we could approximate the time of death. You just taught me something new, Dr. Gallagher, about the separation of the solid parts of the blood versus the liquid parts of the blood. Dave Mack, uh, lightning round, yes, no. Was anything taken from the home? No. Was there a forced entry? No. Was there a sex attack? No. Do we know if anything had been taken off her person? We know that her cell phone was taken. Joining me right now, 27 years, Metro Major Case, former SWAT, now lawyer with the Shellnut Law Firm, James Shellnut. No forced entry. I believe entry through the front door. No robbery, no burglary, no sex attack. Only thing taken was cell phone. Very probative, Shellnut. Who would want her cell phone? Well, but somebody who didn't want her to call police or call for help. Uh, you know, you, you're right. The theory of a burglary is out the window. It's outside the normal time zone of a burglary, 10 to 3. It's in the evening hours. No forced entry, nothing taken. This is someone that she knew. Her habit and routine, as you said, which is powerful. Or that saw her go in. Yeah, yeah. Her, her habit and routine was to keep the doors locked. Uh, this is someone that she was familiar with enough to open the door and to allow them to either enter the home or at least stand in a close enough proximity to enter the home. This is not a stranger. This is someone she knew. The motive of, of that person, I don't know. I don't know if it was a personal problem that they had with her. I don't know if they actually came there to rob her. This was a short time after Christmas. Um, but I will tell you this. It's not a stranger and it's someone that lives close by, and it's someone that's young. You know, Miss Ham, with me is Katara Ham. This is Rendisha's mom. Something had changed in your life. You and your family, and of course, she's got three brothers, one already in college, as, as I understand the facts, had just moved in with the grandparents in College Park. Never had a break in or anything else elsewhere, and now you move there, and bam. Mm-hmm. And I and it it makes me take the day that I ever moved to College Park to this day. Six years later, I cannot go to College Park. I don't go to College Park at all for anything. Um, if I my my cousin just had a birthday party there, I I cannot go. I don't go. It my body just shivers. I can't. I I I I hate the day that I ever moved there, but I had to move at the time because I was sending my first son off to college, and I was sending one son to Los Angeles. He was trying to do um, acting, so it was a it was just a move I had to make as a mom to kind of do what I had to do so that me and my kids would be okay. Never did I ever think moving there would, I, I lose one of my kids. I, I just, because my kids are good kids. All my kids, like, you know, the one son that went to college, he went on to graduate college. Um, the other one, he's he's in college right now. And one is the, the youngest one. He's getting ready to go. So I I I I if I don't 
have any kids that were like in the street, a part of gangs, a part of, you know, this, that. Um, I've been a baseball, basketball, football mom my whole life. And Randisha was was with me all the time. She was she was there there she didn't necessarily cheer, but she was was their cheerleader. And it was always her and I, her and I, her and I. And um she used to make sure like I said, I got out work late. So she was she was next to the oldest, but she would make sure everybody had had ate and everything when I got home from work and I mean she was just a sweetheart. But I I do agree that I believe that it was somebody that she knew. And that's the part that scares me. I think it may have been somebody in the neighborhood. Have you thought about that, Cheryl McCollum? Someone that would see her. You know, we know from experience, people covet what they see. Yes. I believe she opened the door to this person that she may have had a passing familiarity with. Like, hey, I'm Joe from down the street. Remember me? Can I come in and use the phone or whatever? excuse is used well let's talk about what else joe would know joe would know the grandparents were out of town joe would know the brother had a ball game he would know mom worked until seven thirty at least he also knew that in this time of day nobody's out of course in january cutting their grass nobody's moving trash cans nobody's walking a dog right. kids aren't out riding a bike the timing was too impeccable for somebody not to know this family's routine. Well, another thing to Miss Ham, this is uh, Rendish's mom. Miss Ham, did the grandparents, I take it they're your parents? Yes, my mom and dad. Did they yes. drive a car? Yes, they drove a car. My mom's car had been, and that's, that was what my dad, that's, that was what my dad was saying. My mom's car had been sitting there. So whomever kind of knew, somebody All the knew cars are gone. Watching. All the cars, yes. So they, they, they knew the cars and they knew whoever, they knew our routine and they, whether they knew me and my family or just knew her, it was somebody that she knew and somebody that was from that area, from that neighborhood. I'm just saying, I think they're from the neighborhood because they may very well have known this mom works at least 13 hour right. shifts at the hospital. Help me out, Cheryl McCollum. Why, with everything that we're figuring out right here, is the case not solved? I find it really hard to believe there were no fingerprints on that door. There, there are fingerprints, and I believe they need to resubmit them. I believe that this person could have been a juvenile at the time, so their prints were not in APHIS, but they need to be resubmitted. They may be there now. The mode of death... Cheryl, she was shot multiple times around the torso and the face, as I understand the facts. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. Five times. What weapon? Um, it was a handgun, and all, all they really released is that it was, you know, copper yellow bullets that was retrieved from her body. What did you say? The only thing that police have released is that in the autopsy, they recovered copper yellow bullets from her body. You know, uh, James Shelnut joining me, 27 years, master of major case, now lawyer. We have a ballistics database. Help me out. If that gun has ever been used in another offense, it will show up. We, we do have a ballistics database, and the ballistics database is excellent if that weapon 
has fired another round that's been recovered during the commission of a crime. Then at that point, you'll have another round to compare to the rounds that was pulled out of the victim's body in this case. However, if that gun has not been used in the commission of a crime and a round was not recovered, then there would be no match to connect it to. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. To Dr. Tim Gallagher, medical examiner joining us out of Florida, you're very familiar with the ballistics database. Explain why one gun, well, it's like a fingerprint, leaves a marking on bullets. It's a mistake. You, you can't mistake it. But that is correct, Nancy. So the database is called NIBIN, and don't ask me what those initials mean. National Integrated Ballistic Information Network. That's Hello, what it stands Nancy, for. You're but the go best. Ahead. Okay. Um, uh, when a bullet leaves the muzzle of a gun, uh, it scrapes along the side of the muzzle of the, uh, the inside of the portion of the gun, and the bullet picks up little scratches and grooves. So a bullet fired from the same gun will have the exact same scratches and grooves on it. Uh, then that bullet can be uh, photographed and identified through NIBIN. And if another bullet comes from a crime scene that has the same exact scratches and grooves on it, then we can, uh, with very good accuracy, determine that the same gun was used uh, for both firings. So uh, we're looking microscopically at the bullets. We're looking for unique identification marks on the bullets that we can trace back to an individual gun, and then we can assume that that gun was used in a commission of uh, those two firings. Guys, take a listen to our cut 12, our friends at Fox 5. Mrs. Ham tells me she believes it's someone her daughter knew because there was no force entry, nothing was taken, and there was no assault. She loved to smile. She loved church. She loved singing the choir. She loved dancing. Math was one of her favorite subjects. She was a straight-A student on the principal's list. Not a day goes by that she tells me she doesn't think about her daughter. I'm asking you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading for you. So please, please, please come forward. And listen to more from our friends at Fox 5. This is Portia Bruner and our Cut 9. He's appealing to juniors and seniors at Westlake High School to come forward with anything they may recall about the day Randisha was brutally murdered shortly after she got off the school bus. Were there witnesses, do The you last believe? time that she was seen alive was uh, getting off the school bus into the neighborhood. So, uh... We feel that somebody either on a bus or at the school may have heard something or heard rumors or maybe there was altercation on the bus or at school that day. You know, I don't understand something uh, to Miss Ham, Miss Katar Ham. This is Randisha's mom joining us. Why are we having to discuss following up on rumors at school? What are the police doing? I do frequently talk to um, the detective. They're still working on her case, but it's because whoever I believe did it went in and went out. I believe the 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 kids at the the kids at the school, I just believe the kids in the neighborhood, I just think they were all scared to talk. So nobody it's like 
to me. This is just what I think. It's no hard evidence. Okay, I got some questions for you. Miss Ham, do you know if the CPPD, College Park Police, have downloaded everything from the iCloud? They don't have her phone, but did they download her texts, her cell calls, and most important, I want to know if she took a picture of this person? It's only so much that they're telling me, but I know Apple wasn't really, really, um, when it comes to certain things, Apple, they really wasn't working with us with trying to get things. They don't have to work. Apple doesn't have to work with the police. That's why we have subpoena Ducas Tecum. You hit them with a subpoena, and they have to turn it over. Here are my questions, Cheryl McCollum. Number one, surveillance video in the neighborhood. Three years ago, there's ring doorbells. There's all sorts of video possibilities. In that area specifically, Cheryl McCollum, there are red light cams. There are business cams. There's all sorts of cams going on. Number one, has that been obtained? Number two, did they canvass the neighborhood door to door? Number three, were there any defensive wounds? Did she fight back? Did she scratch? Were there marks on her hands or arms? Um, has the iPhone information been downloaded? Have the bullets been sent to NIBIM? What do we know about the fingerprints? Have they been submitted? Has any DNA been taken off her body? I know there wasn't a sex attack. But did he touch her in any way that could have left epithelial DNA on her body? Those are the things I want to know. Nibin was going to be my first thing and to resubmit the fingerprints to APHIS. Those two things need to be done immediately. Well, what do we have to do? Lay on the courthouse steps to get them done? Well, I think maybe a phone call to the detective along with Miss Ham would be appropriate. Nancy, this is James. Yes. Jump in. I can't imagine it's that hard to develop a suspect in this case. Uh, I mean, on a scale of one to yes. ten, this is not a ten. This is a five or six. Um, you know, you know that this person, you already have a profile of who this person is. You know, it's probably a younger person. You know, this is a person that lived nearby. Don't just focus your efforts on the school. Focus your efforts on any juvenile when you mean or younger, teens or I would say under 50. I don't put it past a 40-year-old man to go in that home. But the fact that the cell phone had been taken does, right. in my mind, indicate a youthful offender. And Cheryl right. McCollum, you know how many times I have been in the public schools in College Park looking for defendants and witnesses, and there's no shortage of guns in the school. There you go. Absolutely. But, you know, there's somebody that got ghost after this happened. There's somebody that's been drinking themselves to death over this. There is clear indicators of who this perpetrator is. They need to go back. They need to canvas. They need to start from ground zero. And I uh, agree um with the other experts that this is somebody, in my opinion, that is closer to 15 to 17. The person who did this talked to somebody at some Absolutely. Point. I wonder if they even did a find my iPhone to find the iPhone immediately following the death. We did. Whoever got phone, they immediately shut it off. Like when you when I was trying to call, it was going directly to voicemail. So it was it was it was shut off. 
So I believe whoever got her, I believe they destroyed her phone whenever whenever they left or whenever they got it. I believe they they destroyed it because it it never it, it just went straight to voicemail as if it was like turned off. They turned it off. But you did try find my iPhone. We did try find my. I tried find my iPhone. I I I kept trying. I even tried it years later because I kept the phone on for a while and. Um, I tried to find that phone never been anywhere. Miss Ham, do you ever feel that Randisha is trying to reach out to you? I do. I had a dream. Um, it was crazy. I posted on my personal Facebook page, which is my name, Katara Ham. Um, I posted, I, it was, I was out and I was with a group of people and nobody saw her but me. And she was trying to tell me something. I believe she was trying to just tell me. I just couldn't grasp what she was trying to tell me. I was so happy to see her. I couldn't grasp what she was trying to tell me. And I I believe that she is trying to to tell me. And I, I just want to. I just know. I just don't know if, I, if, if I'm knowing how to grasp it or how to take it in or or what but I I that was that was a, the weirdest dream that I've had since she's been gone and this was just a few nights ago. Miss Ham, how has this affected Randisha's brothers? My youngest son, um and it makes me cry because it the one that found her, he's all of them are very much affected. All of them are, but my youngest son, um, he and I both like, he don't really sleep. Um, is we just, we're all just so, I can't explain it. They are, it's made us closer as mother and son, but it, you know, my youngest son, I, I really can't explain it. But it has affected him so much to where, you know, like I said, he don't really sleep at night. And you know what's interesting about that, too? Dr. Angie Arnold, psychiatrist, joining us out of Atlanta. I swear sometimes I say, I don't think I've had a good night's sleep since my fiancé was murdered. It just changes everything. Why Why can't people sleep after they go through something like this? Well, Nancy, I... People can't sleep because, unfortunately, there's so much on their mind that they that they can't make right. Now, I want to let I want to let you know that there are has has have you had have y'all gotten any kind of psychiatric help for for this tragedy that your family is going through? Because there are some things that can be done for you aside from medications that can help y'all to get to sleep at night you know what i'm gonna do dr angie i'm gonna hook you and miss ham up after our program thank you and dr angie dr angie arnold i really really appreciate you speaking to her really miss ham what were the last words randisha said to you i love you love you mommy Mm mm-hmm and I never heard from her again. 
There is a $2,000 reward for information in Randisha Love, this teen girl's brutal murder. The tip line is 404-613-6529. Repeat, 404-613-6529. Please help us solve this case. Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend.